Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Blake Jackson, co-owner of Ugly Bug Fly Shop and Crazy Rainbow Fly Fishing. Blake shares his fly fishing journey, and we take a deep dive into the great flangling opportunities in central Wyoming. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or our Android app. We organize our content by category so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. Now, on to the interview. Well, Blake, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We ask our guests to always share their earliest fishing memory. Boy, you know, like most uh, fish heads, I've I've got a few, but probably my earliest would be, uh, you know, just a fun day on my little home creek I grew up on uh, here in central Wyoming um, with dad and grandpa and and uncles, and um, I managed to lay in the big fish that day and thought I was uh, pretty hot stuff for it, right, teasing all my uncles. and um, Just a memorable thing. It's like the first time uh, I can kind of remember out fishing. <laughs> you know, these people that I thought were, um, you know, elite elite uh, fishermen. So um, that one really sticks with me. I was pretty young. Yeah, very neat. And when did you get drawn to the dark side of fly fishing? You know, I dabbled with it when I was, you know, extremely young, uh, probably too young. They, you know, family tried to get me into it, but pretty well made the full-time conversion around the age of 12. Got it. And, you know, obviously now you're a guide and you're, you co-own a fly shop. Uh, who are some of the folks that mentored you on your fly fishing journey and what did they teach you? Boy, that's, uh, that one's a tough question to ask. I think, you know, like most uh, anglers that are out there, you know, I don't know that uh, education or mentorship really ever ends. I'm, you know, continuously learning, obviously, from very skilled anglers, but also learning from, you know, often beginners, right? I'll see them catch fish in spots that I just would assume fish don't live and um, try to learn a little bit from that. But, um, you know, major major influences, um, you know, a good buddy of mine, Denny Saunders, was kind of the first one to get me into rowing a boat uh, pretty seriously. And then uh, my first uh, boss in the industry, uh, Josh Stanish at Montana Trout Fitters, and Dave Cumline in uh, Bozeman, Montana, um, obviously kind of played a, a really big part in in uh, what I do for a living now and, um, and my passion for it. Um, and then my current partner, Brian Martin, um, you know, his... Uh, you know, enthusiasm for the educational side of things and the, uh, you know, philanthropy as far as, um, you know, expanding the business, but also giving back to the community is, is a big part of his mission and um, therefore has become a big part of mine. Uh, very neat. When did you get the guide bug? I had it, I had it early on, um, started becoming more and more successful as I uh, worked my way through college. I, I was a uh, track and field athlete, which um, you know, went hand in hand with kind of a extended school year. So it was, it was difficult for me to find uh summer employment, um, in a college town like Bozeman and wanted to stick around up there and keep training and, uh, guiding kind of allowed some, some freedoms to still 
attend some summer track meets and that sort of thing. Um, but also, you know, do something I, I loved and make a little money in the, in the summer months. So, um, you know, somewhat because of passion, but somewhat because, because of, uh, the necessity of needing a summer job and struggling to find that, um, in a college town when, you know, everyone else had been out of school for a month already. And a lot of those college jobs are already taken. Yeah. Very neat. My youngest son runs track. What were your events? I was a thrower. I threw all the heavy stuff. I joke quite often and tell people I was a steeplechaser, but it's, you know, six, four and close to 300 pounds. That's not, uh, <laughs> it's not real likely. So the shot foot was my big event, but through the shot, dance can hammer all the big heavy stuff. Uh, very neat. And, um, yeah, it's interesting to see my, uh, my son's only 13, but he's almost six feet tall. So we're kind of curious to see, uh, how that's going to work out for him. Sounds like he might need us for the discus or shot put as well. Yeah. yeah. He's going to be in the weight room this summer. He wants to play football in high school. So, so that's going to be, uh, we'll awesome. see how he bulks up. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. And so, you know, so you graduate, uh, from college and, you know, did you go straight into guiding or did you do something and kind of come back to guiding? No, kind of, uh, you know, like everyone wasn't quite sure, you know, you get out of college and think about what you really want to do. And I wasn't truly, um, hadn't really made up my mind there. So I kind of tried to make it go of a pro career for a short period of time and then, uh, you know, still guided and then went, went into, uh, teaching for a year and decided, uh, you know, in a school system education setting really wasn't for me. And, and then, uh, came back to guidance full-time so yeah it's kind of you know not necessarily full circle but definitely a zigzag <laughs> yeah very, very neat who did you start guiding for in bozeman uh for for dave cumline and josh Stanish there at montana trotfitters was the primary one i i guided for you know jason flurry and a few other random people um you know the river's edge and uh you know all the little rivers you know the, between the river's edge and in trout fitters and then there were a fair number of of shops uh in the bozeman area so i kind of made the rounds as a uh you know an independent guide but then stuck on full-time with with trout fitters yeah got it where were your favorite rivers to guide boy i think you know one of the beauties of a place like bozeman is just the variety um i really love guiding the, the yellowstone and the upper yellowstone lower yellowstone as well below livingston um did a bunch of days on the Missouri, but you know, but in the in the Madison also. But if, you know, if I kind of had to pick one, I would I would say the upper the upper Yellowstone was you know still has a very fond spot, um, and lots of great memories up there, and really enjoy you know the the dry fly fishing cutthroat activity that takes place up there. Yeah, I was just gonna say I've floated through Yankee Jim Canyon a few times and made it through that rapid to have some great cutthroat fishing. Yeah, it sure does. That pocket water is kind of fun, and and being a Wyoming kid, you know, we're I'm just not used to fishing that sort of, or at that point wasn't really used to fishing that kind of water. Um, you know, our our rivers here are a little more meandering and at times kind of slower. So, um, you know, pitching big foam foam bugs to the banks, so you know, was a real treat. Yeah, I can still remember uh, the guy I fished with telling me that I needed to count to a couple thousand before I set the hook, or I was going to not get them. So. Yeah, that's definitely uh, easier said than done sometimes, right? <laughs> when you wait and you watch a, a good-sized fish uh, eat slow like that, you want to be quick on the reaction when you definitely need to be the opposite, kind of slow and smooth. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so Blake, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, the secrets to being a good guide? Boy, there's a, there's a few of them. I think the first kind of secret to all of it is, is uh, being a people person and reading people. Um, you know, there's obviously a, a full array of clientele, everyone from the folks that are pretty serious about it and want to fish hardcore to a lot of folks that, uh, you know, want to have a great, a great day, relaxing day on the water. Um, so just, just reading people and kind of figuring out what the goal really is for that, for that day. And, and, uh, the more I've got into it, you know, at this point, I'm just kind of fishing with returners and not necessarily taking, um, new clients on, but, but I definitely learned through the course of my guiding career to, uh, just be a little more upfront. And, and, uh, I just ask them straight out of the gate, like, what would you, you know, the perfect scenario what's the goal of today? Is it just raw, you know, pure numbers and catch fish is the goal, you know, to become a better angler so you can go out and do this on your own or is the plan just to kind of do a couple of guided trips a year and this is your time away. And, and, um, you know, I think it kind of opens those lines of communication and, um, you know, puts things at ease a little bit and, uh, kind of allows us to, you know, tailor a trip specific for, for that clientele and instead of kind of giving them a, you know, a generic or cookie cutter sort of uh, guided trip experience, we can really kind of customize it accordingly. Yeah. It's always amazing to me how reluctant clients are to tell their guide what they want to get out of their day. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we really try hard here in the shop when we're taking trips, you know, for the other guides that work in the operation, including myself to, to really kind of, uh, you know, vet that experience or, or funnel that experience into, um, you know, what are you looking for out of it? And, um, you know, this is our, you know, it's our job. Um, and, and I, to me, I always tell people like, it's your money. Don't, don't hold back on the sense of, you know, if the goal is to, you're bringing your grandchild out and it's all about the grandkid, like give us a heads up prior. Um, that's a, you know, it puts us that, that much further ahead of the game and often we can provide a much better experience by going to a specific stretch of water or um you know customizing the trip uh, in a way that uh you know that increases everyone's you know opportunity and enjoyment in the day sort of thing yeah absolutely and i always like to ask um all the folks that I have on the show that are guides you know what they think the biggest misconception is that folks have about the life of a fishing guide I, I, you know, I think the easiest, most common one is people just, you know, they like, man, that's an awesome job. You get to go fishing every day or you get to fish every day. And, you know, there is a, there is an avenue to that. I definitely say, you know, if you got to have an office, a drift boat to me is about as good as it gets. Um, but, but, you know, generally the guy's not the one holding the rod. Um, they definitely get some satisfaction and enjoyment out of, um, you know, helping the customer succeed. But, but it's not them going out and fun fishing every day. It's, uh, it's, you know, them battling the wind and, um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to make a, a successful, uh, guide trip out of a day. So, um, there's many things to balance and then kind of multitask. And at times it can be, you know, surprisingly stressful. Um, so it, it is a real job. 
Yeah, I think too. I mean, it's also, you know, I think folks kind of forget, particularly, you know, if you're like in Montana or Wyoming, your season's probably a little bit longer than the Montana season, but you know, you don't have a lot of days to fish and, you know, you may only have two or three days off in an entire summer season. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, very fortunate here in a pretty extended season. We really kind of get going in March and, and run pretty aggressively through Thanksgiving. Um, but all the same, it's still a limited window. And, uh, you know, a lot of my guides, you know, shoot for that 150 to 180 days a year sort of mark. And we kind of refer to it, you know, much like uh, a teaching, you know, position at your local middle school or high school where they're going to work 170 days a year. Uh, you know, a guiding job is kind of that in reverse, right? Opposite seasons of, of what a teacher would really work. But it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, mentally taxing, but obviously very physically taxing at times. So, um, you know, between battling the elements and, um, you know, multitasking all the odds and ends that take place in a day, um, it, it can definitely wear you out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, tell me a little bit about how you became one of the owners of the Ugly Bug and Crazy Rainbow Fly Fishing. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, after I kind of, figured out that, uh, you know, my career path or what I thought was going to happen after college, uh, you know, wasn't really, really what I wanted to do. I, I was looking for avenues to do more and more days, much like you'd mentioned the Montana season. Although, you know, you can do a lot of days, you're going to work, you know, a hundred out of 120 sort of fishable days. And, and, uh, I'm kind of a numbers dork. So kind of doing the math on what I needed to, uh, to bring home annually and, and kind of my financial goals, I, I realized I needed to, uh, to do more days than what that would provide. So I started, uh, you know, looking for other opportunities. And then unfortunately my dad was battling some, uh, health issues back home, um, here near Casper. So, uh, I, you know, known Brian, uh, my partner growing up and, and, uh, reached out to him and it kind of worked that I could, you know, work the shoulder seasons uh, here and, and, you know, between here and the Bighorn and the Missouri, pretty much, I started piecing together a pretty long season. And then, um, you know, what this fishery had to provide and, and uh, where this, you know, kind of business was going here at the Ugly Bug, I, I uh, made the move here full time and, and then kind of got into the partnership role just a couple of years after that. Uh, very neat. And how long ago was that? That would have been uh, moved back here in 04. So 06, 07 kind of became the partner aspect of things and started taking on, you know, a bigger and bigger role. And um, and then, uh, you know, at this point, Brian's kind of stepped back and become a asylum partner. So um, kind of running the running the program mostly myself, which is which is perfectly great. It's uh, been a good a good working relationship between the two of us and definitely fortunate to have him yeah very neat and so did the 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 fly shop come first or did the outfitting business come first so we're actually the third owners of uh the ugly bugs the ugly bug uh has been around since uh 83 um so fly shop was here although uh didn't own the fly shop uh prior to that so guide service crazy rainbow came first and then a couple years after the the start of Crazy Rainbow, the Ugly Bug was purchased. Got it. And, you know, 
every fly shop I've ever been in has its own personality. You know, what's the vibe like in the ugly bug? Boy, I mean, I think our goal is to, you know, be the friendliest fly shop that, you know, it's possible. Um, we have a couple of unique things here. I mean, because of our, um, lodge and guide service aspect and then our, our, you know, little shop out at the uh, lodge, but our main fly shops right here in downtown Casper. Um, so, you know, it's, I think a super friendly fly shop. We've got one of the largest uh, fly selections in the country. Um, you know, both obviously in house here, um, and then you know, good, almost all good majority of all of our flies are online as well. So uh, through our ecom stores. So really, really heavy on to me what makes a fly shop, and that's flies. We've got a whole lot of that, um, and then. You know, we're, we're somewhat unique, too. We also have a couple of uh, female um, anglers on staff here between um, Addie Dees, who's kind of the general manager of the business, and C.C. Oliver. So uh, our, our women's division of uh, our retail, as well as our guide service stuff, um, is growing, and we're becoming, uh, you know, more and more of a, a shop for, you know, ladies' apparel and that sort of thing. Uh, very neat. And, you know, so where do you fish in Wyoming? And maybe, you know, Blake, if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, how that's different from like other parts of the state like Jackson, but also just how it's different from other places to fish in kind of the Rocky Mountain West. Yeah. So, you know, Casper, if you were to think of Wyoming, the big square of Wyoming uh, is almost dead center of the state. Um, and, and although we have, uh, you know, multiple stretches to fish of the North Platte, and a lot of people think it's multiple rivers. It's actually the same river, but there's kind of three distinctive stretches to it. There's the, the Miracle Mile, which, you know, kind of rose to um, its, you know, emphasis for its uh, interest, really. You know, Kurt Gowdy was the one that really took, you know, the Miracle Mile, um into, you know, a common kind of household name and in fly fishing when he used to film a lot of his shows there. Um, so the Maya would be kind of the uppermost stretch in which we guide, uh, which is just on the downstream side of Seminole Reservoir. And then we've got Fremont Canyon, um, which is a, you know, a smaller stretch of water and a little narrower stretch of water below Pathfinder Reservoir, more of a walkway fishery. And then uh, the big one would be Gray Reef stretch of the river, which kind of runs from the little town of Alcova, about 30 miles west of Casper, and runs all the way down to uh, to my little hometown of Glenrock, where you then hit a power plant, and the water temps warm up a bit. And it's not quite as friendly to trout below that power plant. So in, you know, in uh, kind of the full scope of things, there's about 90 miles of the North Platte River we guide, and, and some distinctive stretches on that. And then we also guide... Uh, the Bighorn River, which would be the Wyoming side of the Bighorn River. Obviously, a lot of people are familiar with the Bighorn, but generally think of that in the southern Montana region. And, and uh, the headwaters of, of the Bighorn, uh, you know, start here in Wyoming, and the river river runs north into southern Montana. Um, so uh, we we fish from a location called Wedding of the Waters, um, basically north um, towards the town of Worland and through the town of Thermopolis. So the, the the Wind River, Bighorn River, confuses quite a bit of people because it's, it's one river with two different names. So uh, it starts in the, you know, Wind River mountain range and then runs north 
through the uh, Wind River Indian Reservation. And uh, the native um, Wind River Indians call it the Wind River. But as soon as it departs the reservation, it then becomes Bighorn. So there's a kind of distinctive location there on the edge of the reservation called the Wedding of the Waters, where it switches names. And uh, and then we do some stuff on, you know, local smaller creeks as well as uh, some stuff on our reservoirs uh, in this area, both, you know, trout and carp. Um, and I think, uh, you know, when people think of Wyoming, obviously a lot of folks are familiar with Jackson Hole and the Tetons and um you know, big mountains, which we obviously have big mountains, but but we're definitely more of an arid, um, you know, high desert plateau here in Casper. So we're really known for, you know, fabulous antelope hunting, deer hunting, and elk hunting here in the central part of the state. But, but kind of unique in that we don't really have, you know, bears and wolves. It's definitely a different sort of climate here versus Jackson Hole. We don't get quite as much snow. Um, kind of goes back to the desert the desert aspect but um you know our reservoirs provide a consistent water temperature a steady food source um which you know coincides with with really healthy fish so we're kind of known for um good numbers of fish but also you know really healthy good size of fish um here on the north flat in the bighorn uh, got it. So it sounds like really you've got, you know, mostly tailwater fisheries and probably lower gradient streams and say what people might expect in like Colorado, for example. Yeah, it, you spot on there. Yeah, I would I would compare the Miracle Mile stretch of uh, the North Platte here um, in kind of looks and feel and kind of the way it fishes a little bit more like the Madison. It's more bouldery and pocket water and a little larger gradient uh, drop than than what you see on the Gray Reef. The Gray Reef to me is, you know, for those that are familiar with, you know, the Bighorn aspect in, in Montana or, or the Missouri, um, you know, much like that kind of slower meandering high plateau river that's, you know, pretty sizable and, and quite a bit of water comes down it, but um, it's not really a rapid, uh, you know, log jam sort of river. It's more of a V trough, mud bottom kind of slow and meandering. Fish have a pretty easy life, which, you know, helps them uh, grow big and fat. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, you, you, you're you kind of, I guess, probably a month or so, give or take, maybe six weeks into your season. And, you know, I kind of think about the season uh, kind of where you are kind of in thirds. And I was wondering if you could, you know, kind of break it down into kind of early, middle and late season and kind of give folks an idea, you know, what they can expect in each of those seasons and also maybe kind of the best way to enjoy those. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. There's to me, there's just like that. There's three distinctive um, differences. And in our spring season, which we're in right now, um, we've obviously got fish moving to uh, spawning habitat. Uh, we obviously don't fish them on the spawning beds, that sort of thing. But it does it does lead to them being a little more aggressive. And you know, after the winter months, they're looking to pack on some weight, so they're feeding pretty aggressively. But our spring season is primarily a nymph fishing um, season for us. We get a little streamer fishing um, because we have a, a really strong leech and crawfish uh, population here on the river. But for the most part, day in and day out, the uh, the nymph fishing is going to produce the best results um, and, and, you know, kind of lead to the most enjoyment. And then as we roll into the, you know, summer, which, you know, is kind of pushed forward for us, at times, we're kind of hitting that summer mark and the end of June, 
middle of June, uh, pretty aggressively, we start getting more and more PMDs and um, yellow sallies and the typical kind of summer bugs. Um, and the fish push into the ripples a little more. I get super aggressive in the ripples, but some of the kind of slower lakier pools uh, aren't quite as productive. So, um, although there's still a lot of nymphing there, it's somewhat different. Instead of pitching towards the center of the river, you're now, you know, trying to hit seams on banks and kind of make specific casts. Um, and that season also kind of lines up well with the dry dropper sort of uh, program, just because the fish are sitting a little, little more, you know, shallower sitting in some oxygen, uh, oxygenated water and a little easier to find at spots up against the banks. Um, and then we start getting, you know, trichos and in many years we get a really phenomenal, um, terrestrial grasshopper beetle, um, game going on here, which can be a lot of fun with our big fish up, uh, dipping dries. Often the trico thing, um, is a fun challenge for people. You know, our, a lot of our fish like to sit and you know, pretty slick water, less than a foot, and really feed aggressively on those trichos. And, um, they're definitely uh, a little harder to pick off at times just because, you know, you kind of have to make the right cast. Typical trico stuff, you're fishing small bugs, um, a little a little more intense on the uh, presentation, um, and then often a, you know, relatively large fish on, on lighter tippet. Now, when I'm talking light tippet, I'm kind of talking Wyoming light, not necessarily light in the general world world of, world of trout fishing. You know, you know, light for us is, is 4X, 5X. Um, so, you know, spooky for what we're used to, but compared to many anglers that are, you know, the 6X, 7X sort of people, um, if they're local fisheries, we don't have quite that technical sort of fishing here usually. Um, and then when we move into the fall, to me, that's probably our most consistent dry fly fishing. It's kind of that pseudo season um, with all the pseudo cleons, but also the you know good blue wings to kind of follow. And on the front end of that, we still got good terrestrial stuff. So um, really good dry fly fishing in the fall and, and dry dropper fishing, and then um, you know kind of our primary streamer fishing um, takes place you know here on the reef a little earlier, and then uh, you know the Miracle Mile streamer fishing really starts picking up kind of into October through November, um, and, and kind of extends, um, you know, the season a bit there. So, um, definitely some variety throughout the year. Um, and, and I think one reason we have many customers kind of come back, come back and visit us, um, multiple times throughout a season is, uh, it, it's kind of distinctly different fisheries, not only the time of the year, but also where you're at within the system. Um, it's kind of a totally different experience. Yeah, I would imagine too. With all of your tailwaters, you probably aren't quite as susceptible to runoff as some other fisheries in the West. Yeah, you're exactly right. We we do get some runoff, uh, you know, this time of year moving forward. But you know, we're fortunate enough here. The main tributary creek below the dam really doesn't start affecting uh, the river, you know, until about that eight mile mark. So generally, even after a you know, giant rainstorms, that sort of thing. We're fortunate enough to have clean water um, right up below the dam. And for the first, you know, basically first full full flow or, you know, a 12-hour sort of section of water. Um, and then when, you know, when we do get runoff here, um, because we're a little lower, um, 
you know, the majority of our runoff comes down the headwaters of the river, which start in northern Colorado. And, you know, if you were to look at the design of, like, a water treatment facility, the North Platte system kind of falls right in line with that, where you have a, a river running into a reservoir, and then sections of moving water in between multiple holding ponds. Um, it's really much like a water treatment sort of facility, right? So a lot of that sediment settles out when it hits those reservoirs. So as it comes through, by the time it gets down into the reef or even the mile, it's usually generally very, very clean. Um, and of course, bottom draw reservoirs, that kind of helps too. So, um, so we do get some little tributary stuff here closer to the town of Casper um, that can lead to some some mud and that sort of stuff. Um, but it's mostly runoff associated with big, you know, kind of high plains, western rainstorms, not necessarily snowfall. Yeah. And it's always neat too. Like I know, I guess I think about cherry on the Madison, you know, and fish in that mud line. I mean, you can get some really nice fish uh, on those occasions. Oh yeah. I think, uh, you know, many people don't give that kind of muddy off colored water enough credit. I mean, to me, that's, it might not be your most productive days as far as raw fish numbers, but to me, that's often when those big fish and kind of nocturnal fish, um, start making mistakes right <laughs> they come out and they're feeding more um and 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 you know we, we we're fortunate enough to usually find some of those big fish in some off-colored water yeah very neat and you know you know casper is a little bit off the beaten path and i was kind of curious i would imagine what most people probably fly into denver and drive up but kind of what's the best way to get to you yeah yeah you're you're exactly right either flying to denver and drive up and and a lot of folks kind of come come through Casper or come see us as part of a, you know, a leg on a, a bigger adventure. We got a lot of folks that make a loop, um, you know, either starting in Denver and up through through Wyoming and into Southern Montana or through Wyoming and here and over to Jackson Hole and kind of drive a circle back to Denver. And more and more folks, you know, renting a car in Denver and say flying out of Bozeman, right? And they can fish multiple waterways in multiple days. But the folks just trying to come to Casper and, and fish this area, um, you can either, you know, fly into Denver and you got about a four hour drive, uh, to the town of Casper here from, from Denver and it's all interstate straight up by 25. It's pretty simple. Or, uh, you know, we have a pretty sizable airport here in Casper as well. So, uh, connecting flights route through Denver, which would be United or Salt Lake City, um, on Delta. So, um, many folks just fly right here into Casper and then. You know, transportation is pretty easy from that point. Um, you know, we it's a a shop and a lodge. We provide you know transport from the from the uh, airport out to the lodge, and that's only about a you know fifteen minute drive. So pretty quick and easy to get you out there. Um, and then you know once you're here and want to kind of do the all inclusive sort of thing, if you're with us at the lodge or one of our cabins, um, you know, guys picking you up right there, and we're serving you dinner and the in that location. So, um, it's pretty simple. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to kind of give folks a feel like we were talking before we started recording about the ribbon shop, but you know, what are some other restaurants and kind of things to do in Casper? If maybe you come with some non-fishing family members or you just kind of want to kind of explore the town. Yeah. Casper's kind of got it all. It's to me, it's the right size of, you know, small city town. Um, so, 
you know, we've got multiple good restaurants. I would say that, you know, the Ribbon Chop, um, the Silver Fox, and the Fire Rock are kind of the, the three big steakhouses, um, fish houses sort of thing here in town. Um, and, you know, obviously Central Wyoming, we're, we're known for um, cattle ranching and, and great steaks, so you can't really go wrong there. But we've got all the kind of classic, uh, you know, really good um Mexican food. We've got great uh, Italian food here in town, um, and the city keeps growing and growing as far as uh, events. You know, we host the college national finals rodeo here. Um, we've got you know multiple rodeos and fairs throughout the summer months, and uh, more and more big you know kind of big acts as far as uh, you know music, uh, concerts, that sort of thing with our event center here. So. Um, you know, not a grand event center, but it's you know can fit six six thousand people or so. So it's a, it's a big enough concert venue to to pull some some pretty good talent and uh, and a lot of fun. And then you know a ton of history in this region: um, Independence Rock, um, the Oregon Trail, great museum. Obviously, a ton of BLM property for the folks that like to you know bike or ATV camp. Um, it's really easy here. And then a lot of our business also takes place and kind of coincides with the, the hunting industry that takes place in Wyoming. Um, about 80% of the world's population of, of pronghorn antelope live within 90 miles of Casper. So we're a huge destination in the fall months for, for folks antelope hunting. And a lot of them tack on a fishing trip or try to get out and go fishing as part of their, uh, as part of their hunt. So um, we've kind of got multiple you know, fun adventures to do. The, the mountain here is great. We've got a great bluegrass festival called Bear Trap Music Festival that takes place here in Casper as well, up on top of the mountain. And a nice little ski area and cross-country area, cross-country ski area. So there's a lot to do, a ton of stuff to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll try to maybe grab a link from the Chamber of Commerce or something and drop all that stuff in the show notes. Yeah, and visit Casper. You know, we've got a great kind of outdoor tourism office here. Um, in town, and they're they're a huge help to many visitors that are trying to plan, you know, multiple sort of events, and they'll help you out uh, and connect you, you know, throughout the state if you're looking to do a a loop. So, um, you know, they're they're a great resource for info as well. Awesome, and you know, I always like to ask, um, you know, shop shop owners and outfitters to kind of share their thoughts on kind of what sets their operation apart from other folks. Yeah, you know, we do, we have a few strategic things here that, that kind of set us up. Our goal's always been, and my goal's always been to, uh, you know, to run a, a solid fly shop and, and, you know, and love life and love the people I deal with. Um, but I think, you know, one thing that, that at times or initially we kind of wondered about that's really been a great asset to us is we're one of the few shops in the country that, uh, you know, that hire our guide staff as, uh, employees so um generally we're able to get a more experienced guide um than a lot of other locations um I've, you know to me that not that guides that are just doing this for a random job aren't uh, aren't a valuable resource and aren't part of the industry but but uh i've always tried to seek out guides that this is their profession and they think of it that way. And to me, there's a distinct difference in the two. They're trying to, you know, 
please you and they're trying to get you to come back. Um, and you know, they want, they want to be successful. It's not just go through the motion sort of thing. This is, this is their profession and, uh, and they take it, you know, serious enough that, um, they're willing to go the extra effort and provide, you know, what it takes to be successful. Um, and, and so, you know, by us hiring as employees, you know, just, uh, you know, gives them access to workers comp and, you know, all the things that come with an employee set up versus a independent contractor, like most other fishing guides in the country. So, um, and then obviously just a ton of dates that helps too, right? The, the more time they're on the water, their knowledge increases and, uh, they become better and better at their craft. And, uh, because of our extended season and the, the amount of work that they get, um, we've got a lot of really experienced fishing guides that, that have a great passion for it and, uh, and are extremely successful. Yeah, and I know, too, that you've got some private access, and I know that stream access in Wyoming is different than Montana, but I would imagine, you know, one of the things that does for you is, you know, we keep reading these articles, and I've been out on the Madison, and it's just getting busier and busier, but I suspect that kind of helps you have a more consistent experience for your clients, too. Totally. Yeah, the the ranch uh, here, you know, we um, my partner owns Great Reef Ranch, so that's a huge, a huge asset to us that you know, we've got eight private boat ramps in that in which we can, you know, spread out some of the traffic that we generate ourselves. So even though there might be other boats out, you don't really feel it. Um, but more importantly, you know, like most good anglers would tell you, they'd much rather be the first boat down the river than the last. <laughs> so it allows us to be kind of ahead of uh, the general public. Um, often the general public ramp and, and, you know, the few outfitters that operate uh, off of those public ramps, um, they're a couple hours behind us. So, um, yes, the river gets some traffic, but, but you really don't realize it because you're always ahead of it with us. Um, and then because of the stream access laws here in Wyoming, although they, you know, can be a negative in some circumstances, obviously there's a positive angle to it as well. We're, we're the only ones getting out and weight fishing. Um, we've got private lunch huts, um, on the river, which, you know, allow us to kind of step up the lunch program a little bit and we're able to, uh, to serve hot meals and barbecue and those, those lunch hut, you know, gazebo sort of setups allow us to jump up and get out of the elements as well as, you know, have restroom facilities and that sort of thing. So, um, a big asset there to, to be able to do that and definitely kind of separates us from, uh, you know, the other outfitters operating here, but, you know, also in many cases, the other outfitters in the region. Um, because we can, you know, stop and, and not only just stop, but be, be the only one stopping, right? So um, it's, it's a huge bonus for us. Yeah, and the gazebos are a big deal. I mean, if you've ever been out in a hailstorm and had to make that decision about whether you need to flip the drift boat over or not. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it, yeah, we don't get, I mean, we do get some crazy weather here from time to time. Obviously, it's Wyoming. We can get some storms moving in quick, but yeah, they're just a great luxury. It's, uh, you know, you often don't realize what the sun's kind of doing to you or, or the fatiguing aspect of it. And to be able to jump in that thing for 45 minutes and, um, you know, throw on some more sunscreen and get out of the wind or whatever it may be can be really, really nice. And, it, it, you know, it's great for family settings, for uh, company outings, that sort of thing. It really allows us to do some unique creative things there. I mean, we've had meetings outdoors and those with sales reps before. We've... Um, done all kinds of stuff obviously avoided multiple 
hail storms, wind storms, rain storms in them. But uh, yeah, they're just a nice asset to have. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on the hunting a little bit earlier, but you guys do cast and blast as well, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We've got, uh, you know, a bird facility here on the ranch also. So it's, uh, you know, put and take kind of pheasant chucker operation. Um, and then with that, we've got a, a five stand uh, clay course as well as uh, three different kind of sporting clay um, opportunities, three separate sporting clay courses. So, you know, the, the sporting clay and the, the five stand um, you know, many customers will do that in conjunction with a you know fishing trip in the summer months. But the bird preserve uh, hunting operation uh, that starts up September one and runs through the end of March. So um, there is quite a bit of overlap with our fishing season as well, and and kind of a you know unique, uh, fun addition um, to kind of break it up right and and mix it up and do both in a day or flip flop days. There's all different kinds of um, itineraries we can put together with that. And very neat. Do you do any waterfowl as well? Yeah, we sure do. We're not a great uh, waterfowl flyway here, but we're we are fortunate that um, in in the you know harsh weather when the rest of the river freezes and we only have eight or ten miles of open uh, of open water that definitely consolidates the birds that we do have um, here and, and consolidates them right up there on the ranch. So. We definitely take advantage of that from time to time and enjoy some waterfowling. Uh, very neat. And uh, doing research for uh, for the interview, I I learned that you like to chase carp. Uh, when did you get the carp bug? Boy, I've kind of had it for years. I started, you know, tinkering with it in Montana on the lower, you know, the Missouri, um, not necessarily the lower Missouri, but you know, below Three Forks uh, before it before it heads towards Helena. Um, got into it there, and then. Um, when I got here, it kind of just kept getting under my skin more and more and, uh, pretty obsessed by it now. Um, yeah, I love the saltwater fish as well. And there's obviously some similarities there. Um, but it's a nice break up in the summer months for, for me to get out in the summer and, and chase some carp, chase different species like that. And, and uh, you know, kind of unique. We I push a flat boat around here and then we really fish them like you'd be fishing, you know, redfish down in Texas or whatever. We're, it's very, very similar. So we chase a lot of both common and mirror carp, but, but our reservoirs are um, have a healthy biomass of carp in them, um, and it can make for a really fun day. Yeah, very neat. Yeah, I run across them kind of in the mid-Atlantic when I'm smallmouth fishing, um, and it's uh, it's always a what I would consider to be a sobering change of pace <laughs> from, yeah. from topwater fishing for smallmouth. Yeah, they're, they're such a unique creature and their, you know, their ability to adapt and live in different environments and locations. Um, it, to me, it's always just been fascinating how, you know, a, a carp in a reservoir can behave totally different than a carp in a river and, you know, totally different food sources. And, and they're both still, um, you know, successful and healthy and, and, uh, you know, making the most of the situation. It's really unique to me is eating, you know, mulberries and cotton seeds and just how resourceful they can be. And very humbling at times too. I mean, although it's, you know, times they seem like you, you catch all you want and then the next day you go out and you struggle to, to land any of them because they get kind of picky and snobbish and <laughs> just, they're just kind of a moody creature at times and, and uh, can definitely change on you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I understand too, you enjoy big game hunting in, in Wyoming. I do. Yeah. I love the big game hunt. Um, I love that, you know, travel, um, you know, not only for hunting, but fishing and we host some, some little trips there, um, you know, to different locations, but, but yeah, I definitely have the hunting bug big time. Um, you know, both most primarily with, with the bow, but I'm, I'm not against rifle hunting either. So love to chase elk and just about anything I can draw a tag for. And, you know, Wyoming's a great state for that. It's, uh, it's very, uh, very relaxed and loose with the number of tags that they issue um, to residents. So we're very fortunate to be able to, uh, to generally draw multiple big game tags in a year and um, help help uh, harvest some great some great food, but also have some great experiences out in the outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to kind of wind down from probably the busiest part of your fishing season. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's a nice step away, and it's kind of nice. Uh, you know, as an outfitter, a phone kind of never quits, right? So that time of year, I'm I'm definitely ready to unplug and go up in the hills. And even if I wanted to answer the phone, there's no way it's going to ring because there's no service. So it's kind of nice to get away from it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that. That was why I originally started going to Montana. It's not like that anymore. But when I first started going, it was hard to get a signal and I liked it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it's uh, not all that hard in Wyoming. Still, you go about uh, twelve miles out of town, you can get there pretty quick. No service at all. Well, that's good to know. And you know, Blake, uh, before I let you go this evening, is there anything that I've left out that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I don't think so. I think uh, you know, if anyone's ever needing help, we're we're more than happy to uh, lend some advice or um, lend some help, and would love to. You know, if anyone's interested in Central Wyoming, we'd love to talk further about it. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, what's the kind of the best way for folks, I guess, one, to follow your fishing adventures and all the stuff that goes on at the Ugly Bug, but also to book Crazy Rainbow to take out take someone out for a day? Yeah, there's multiple ways to find us. Obviously, they can give us a ring here at the, the fly shop. Um, that's 307-234-6905 is the office number here. Um, you can always shoot us an email. Uh, you can find us online at Ozzy Bug Fly Shop or CrazyRainbow.net. Um, you know, Google search either; you'll you'll find us quickly. And then the the typical social media platforms of Facebook and Instagram at Ozzy Bug Fly Shop. Um, and I post, you know, most of our fishing adventure stuff on there, and you know, a lot of stuff as far as product reviews and um, you know, guide service stuff kind of goes on all those all those different platforms. And then like most outfitters, we've got a blog both on the, the retail side of the ugly bug, but also uh, on the crazy rainbow side of fishing reports and information like that. Uh, very neat. And I will drop all that stuff in the show notes. Well, appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, listen, Blake, I really appreciate you uh, carving out a little bit of time for me before dinner, given the time difference uh, to chat today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much. Sure. Appreciate you having me on. Take care. Take care. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Tight lines, everybody.